Good morning. Glad to be here with you. The first message we're going to look at is out of the book of Hosea. I'll give you a minute to find that one. It's after Ezekiel, Daniel, and then Hosea. Hosea chapter 10. We're going to look at one verse of scripture. Hosea 10 verse 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. Till he come and rain righteousness upon you. The title of my message this morning is, It is Time to Seek the Lord. Some of the old writers said it's high time, or high past time, to seek the Lord. This, it is time to seek the Lord, is given as a reproof, a warning, and these are also words of wisdom. It is time to seek the Lord. The implication is that he's not being sought, saying there's great danger in this. If we turn back a chapter or two to Hosea chapter 8, we're going to look at a few verses of Scripture leading up to this. So Hosea 8 and verse 14 says, For Israel has forgotten his Maker, and build the temples, and Judith multiplied fenced cities. And I'll send a fire upon the cities, and it shall devour the places thereof. So Israel has forgotten his Maker. When you forget, you don't seek after him. So we're in our verses, it's time to seek the Lord. Turn over to Hosea chapter 9, verse 1. Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy is other people, for thou hast gone a whoring from thy God, for thou hast loved a, re- a reward upon every corn floor. Thou hast gone a whoring. You've left your first love. You've gone after something else. The, the Lord which bought you and paid for you and made you his people. They've gone outside of that. And verse 9 of the same of chapter 9, They have deeply corrupted themselves, as in the days of Gibeah. Therefore he will remember their iniquity, and he will visit their sins. So they've deeply corrupted themselves. And the next verse, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree in her first time. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves... And get this, unto that shame and their abominations were according as they loved. So you see, they followed after these things that were not the Lord. It's not because they were tricked. It's not because they, somebody made them go do it. This is what they wanted. This is what they were led to do because of their nature. They loved this, these other gods and these other things. And so, in, so we looked at verse 10 and in verse 17 of the same chapter. My God will cast them away, because they did not hearken unto him. And in verse 10, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. And according to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. So you see, his fruit here is unto himself. He served the desires of his flesh. He deserves the thing. He, He sought after the things that he wanted, not the things that God said. 
So they've corrupted themselves. They've gone after idols, the things which they've loved. They've left the Lord. And so in leaving the Lord, we see this, the Lord's word is something as powerful. That it divides asunder the soul and the spirit. And this is sharper than any two-edged sword. And like it or not, we're in the hands of an almighty God whose will is not opposed and whose will is not thwarted, who is holy, true, and right in all his ways. And he doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven and in the armies of the earth. And there's none that can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? So in dealing with his people, we see this is God dealing with his people that have forsaken him. And in verse 10 of chapter 10, the Lord says, This is God. It is in my desire that I should chastise them. And that the people shall be gathered together against them, and when they shall bind themselves into their two furrows. So you see, God saying, for all this iniquity, for all this in leaving me, your first love, I'm going to chastise you. Can this be said of us? Would God be right in doing this to you and to me? I must be honest and say, if God wiped me out, and only me, nobody else, for my sins, and I stood only as the only sinner before God, he'd be just in doing so, because I know that I'm guilty. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 11, he says, after, the, after he says he'll chastise him, and these speaking of his children, Ephraim is a heifer that is taught, and loveth to tread out the corn. So Ephraim knows what to do. But I passed over upon her fair neck, but I'll make Ephraim to ride. Judah shall plow, and Jacob shall break up his clods. And what he's saying here is this fair fair horse, this fair ox that once loved to tread and eat the corn bucket and do the easy things, he's saying, you like to do the things that you want to do, but now in your chastisement, I'm going to make you as something to ride. You're going to bear the burden on your back. And the other one, he says to Judah, I'm going to make you to plow. You're going to drag the iron through the ground and break up the ground, something that's really hard to do. And then... Behind that, he says, Jacob, Jacob's going to walk behind the plow, and he's going to be the one that breaks up those clods. And you're not really firmly, uh, you can't walk very well because the clods are all over the place and it's hard. So he's going to bring chastisement and difficulty upon these people. And so this is a reproof and a warning, but these are also words of wisdom to turn and to repent. In Hosea 12, he tells us, Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. And you see, we'll only seek after that which we really need to find. I'm not going to seek after something that I don't need or don't want. But if I really need it and I really need to find it, I'll seek after it. The Lord says, it's time to seek the Lord. And so I have five points this morning about what it is that we seek unto the Lord for. So first, we seek unto the Lord for forgiveness of sins. The second thing we seek unto the Lord for is for life, the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. The third thing is we seek unto the Lord for is His presence. The fourth thing is His will. And the last thing we seek unto the Lord for is to abolish all of our false refuges. So first, we seek unto the Lord for forgiveness of sins. Well, what about joy? What about peace? What about assurance? What about all the fruits of the Spirit that we know? Well, I do need all of these things, and I desire and cherish all these things. 
But without the forgiveness of sins, these things are meaningless. My sins are what separate me from God. My sins are what require payment for justice to God. See, we live in a day of foreclosure where I've got my house and I can't pay, so therefore I'm just going to start over. The debt no longer, I'm not going to have it. So there's no foreclosure and there's no bankruptcy with God. We can't come before him and say, well, we can't pay. You see, that's why hell is forever. Hell is something that never ends that because the debt can never ever be paid for the sins that I've committed. So I need the forgiveness of sins. You see, sinning is what I do because it's what I am. Sinning is part of my nature. It's, it's what I am. So if I'm born with the sinful nature, then all I can do is sin. This is my flesh. So in being a sinner, I'm the servant of sin. It's all I can do. Scripture saith that man drinketh iniquity like the water. And all of which, all sinners, shall stand before the judgment seat of God and be found guilty for their sins. And I wrote this note to myself. Is there any glory left in you, sinner? No, there's none. There's nothing I can do and stand before God. Even when I look at what would we call the good things about what we would say we do, there's nothing because it's all sin before God. And, in, and at the end of it, I would have to stand before him in my sin. I have nothing that can say differently more than my sin. So I must have the forgiveness of sins. And my only hope, and this is the sinner's hope in the scripture, is, is in this one whom they call Jesus. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is what I need forgiveness from. And not the Jesus that did his part, and unless I do my part and accept him as my Savior, then it'll work for me. That's another Jesus. That's the Jesus that you made up because that's what's easy to believe. I want the Jesus that's preached in the Scriptures, the Lord Jesus. The Christ, the Son of the living God, as he's revealed in the Scripture. So I'm to seek unto the Lord for forgiveness of sins. In Ephesians 1.7, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood. Uh, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So it's in whom, not in what, Salvation is a whom, it's not a what. Salvation is in Christ. In seeking the Lord for forgiveness of sins, we confess and we believe in the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. We have redemption through his blood. His death signified sin because the wages of sin is death. How else would he have died otherwise? So 2 Corinthians 5.21, Scripture says, he hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us, his people, who knew no sin. So you see, this is a transferal of guilt. So Christ in his person never, commit, never committed sin, the commission of sin, but yet he died. So how could he have died? Well, the wages of sin are death. So sin had to be present. So if Christ never committed any sin, how did he die? Well, somebody else's sin had to be there, and that was my sin. God took my sin, the sin of his elect, and put it and charged Christ with that sin and made him guilty for it, and that's how he died. So the illustration that we're given in the Old Testament is the laying of hands of the priest's hands on, on the sacrifice. So 
the, the sacrifice itself did not, there was not commission of sin by that sacrifice, but the people's sins were transferred to that sacrifice, and God took the life of that sacrifice as payment, as the blood payment for sin. If Christ died for sins, they're no more. So if he died, he is paid for the sins of his people. The illustration I give is if I come, if, you've got a, if you go down and uh, buy a truck at the, at the car dealer, and you go and buy a truck and you say, I'm going to open a loan and I'm going to have a debt here at the car dealer. And let's say that you have a very rich relative or I come and decide to pay your truck loan off. I come down without your knowledge, I've paid your truck loan off. Now, you could come and try to make a payment and they would say, I don't have a loan anymore. We're not, your money's no good here. And this is what the illustration I'm giving for, if Christ has paid my sin debt, then independent of whether I choose to accept it or not, it's been paid. So it's not about you accepting it. It's about Christ paying the debt, and therefore there is no debt. So there's nothing that I ever have to be held responsible for. This, then this... You see the foolishness of preaching a Jesus who partly saves, and then if you decide to accept it or reject it, then you know it'll work for you. It's this is not what that's about. This is if Christ paid the debt, it's gone whether or not I I choose to decide to accept it up here or not. Christ paid the debt, my debt's gone, and so therefore I have no sin before God. This is what justification is: being found not guilty before God. So it's time to seek the Lord for forgiveness of sins. And secondly, I seek the Lord for life. This is the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. This is how the blind receive their sight. This is how the lame walk. This is how the deaf hear, lepers are cleansed, and the dead are raised up. When the Lord stood outside of Lazarus's tomb, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, how much choice and how much power did Lazarus have when the Lord said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was laying there dead. Lazarus had no power or energy of the flesh. Lazarus laid there dead. What if he said, well, no, thank you. I think I'll just stay right here. No, he didn't. He came forth because it was a command. And when the Lord says unto you, you're going to live. You're going to live and you're going to believe. This is the power of his spirit that causes me to live. And so in the same way Lazarus was dead, had no ability to choose to get up or not to get up. He had to lay there dead until the Lord came and did something for him. And in, in the book of Ezekiel, when he's standing in the valley of the dry bones, uh, the Lord God says unto Ezekiel, he said, Son of man, can these bones live? O Lord God, thou knowest. I don't know. I don't know if these bones can live. He said, These bones are very dry. And they've been here a long time, and they don't look like they have any life in them. But what did the Lord say to do? He said, prophesy, preach unto the bones. Thus saith the Lord, after I've preached unto them, behold, I shall cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. It's not. And this is our part in the gospel. In the gospel. He says, I will and you shall. Our response is, we live because he told us to live. It's not that we make a choice or we do anything. If the quickening power of the Holy Spirit comes and invades me and causes me to live, then I'll live independent of whether I want to or not. But that's, that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. Is it's, it does, does all these things for us. 
So we speak unto the Lord for life because we're spiritually dead. We're quickened by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. And he told Ezekiel to prophesy, and this is the means by which God operates on a man. So there's many other ways that we might think, well, if he came and, uh, you know, did all these, you know, mumbo-jumbo, whatever it is they do to make a man live, it's not, it's not that. The Lord uses the means of preaching. It seems to men it's foolishness. We stand up here and talk about some, you know, uh, about God that we've never seen with our eyes and this um, man, you know, Christ Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago. And we do this, this is the means of preaching to the outside world when they see this is foolishness. There's no, there's no sense in it. It doesn't make sense to us. But yet this is the means by which God gives life to the sinner, the dead sinner. And so in Ezekiel, if you'll turn over back to Ezekiel, a few books, Ezekiel uh, 36, I'd like us to look at a passage of scripture there. Ezekiel 36 and uh, verse 25. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit on the sinner. This is the Lord God speaking. Then I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness. And from all your idols will I cleanse you. The sprinkling of the clean water, this is being washed in the blood of Christ. This is the forgiveness of sins. And in verse 26, he says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart, the one you were born with, but in your flesh, out of your flesh. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. This new spirit, this new heart, this is what the Holy Spirit is, the power, the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. This is the new man that is in Christ Jesus. And so what are the results of this spirit? What, what can we say once that the quickening power of the Holy Spirit has given man life? What are the results of this? Well, he tells us right here in verse 27. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You didn't choose to do anything. He said, I'll cause you to walk. And you shall keep my judgments, and you shall do them. And you shall dwell in the land I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I shall be your God. So he's saying, when I put this quickening power of the Holy Spirit in you and give you spiritual life, he said, you're going to walk in my ways, and I'm going to make you do it. And so I'm thankful that it's this way because it takes all the burden off me to have to think about doing it. If I think I have to do something to keep the life, to keep the power of the Holy Spirit, or to do something to keep it to do something for me, I'm going to be lost. I'm going to fail. So this, all, all the burden God has taken upon himself, and he said, I'm going to do all this for you. You don't have to do anything. I'm going to cause you to do these things. And so the results of the Spirit is you'll walk in the statutes, you'll keep the judgments, and you'll do them. And when the Holy Spirit calls, you have no choice but to live. Well, how do I know if I've heard the call? If I've been touched by the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't know. I can't speak for you. But all I do know is this is how blind men who couldn't have seen Christ in the Scriptures see Christ in the Scriptures. This is how once when I was deaf... I could hear the words, but it didn't mean anything to my heart. It didn't do anything for me. How Now I can hear the word. I can hear and rejoice in the scripture. And this is how dead, when I was spiritually dead, I've been made alive in Christ by his spirit. I've seen and I've heard my Lord through his word. And I believe and I'm sure that if I'm saved, 
It's only by his grace and only by his mercy where he did it all. He saved me, an unworthy sinner, who is just a trophy of his grace. And that's all I am and that's all I'll ever be. And I'm satisfied to leave it right there. My life is hid in Christ Jesus. As he lives, so do I, because he is my life. So I'm seeking unto the Lord for life. The third thing, when it's, we say it's time to seek the Lord, we're seeking unto the Lord for is for his presence. So no one who ever came in contact with the Lord who wasn't changed. He healed the sick, the blind see, the deaf hear, lepers were cleansed. He changed them. So when you look at the, who do we think of, I, I thought of Zacchaeus. He just sat and watched him, and the Lord said, Zacchaeus, salvation's come to your house today. The Lord didn't tell him to do anything, but what did he immediately say? Well, Lord, you know, if I've wronged anybody, I'll restore four, full four, fold, and I'm going to give half of what I have to, you know, to the poor. So, so this is the power and influence that Christ's presence, the Holy Spirit, has on a man. So his presence, I wrote down a few things. It uplifts the brokenhearted. It gives life and faith to the lost. His presence resists the proud. His presence exalts the poor and needy. His presence is precious to those who know him and is an oasis in the desert when found. We seek the Lord's presence first in public worship. When we stand up here and, and our brother prayed for the Lord's presence to be here, for the Lord to to dwell with us here and speak through a man who in and of himself has no power. I can come up with what I feel is the greatest thing to say to you out of the scripture, but if the Lord doesn't bless it, if his presence isn't here, my words are meaningless and it will do nothing. So I seek the Lord's presence. There's no power. There's no regeneration without it. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name for his glory, for his honor, and for his praise... To worship him, he said, I'll be in the midst of them. And so that's why we pray every time we meet for the Lord's presence to be here in our public worship. And secondly, we pray for the Lord's presence in our private worship, in prayer. This is how we commune with God. There are, time, there are times in my experience when I feel I've prayed, I've asked the Lord, but I feel my prayers don't get above the ceiling. I feel like I'm talking, but... I feel like the Lord doesn't hear me. This, this is the, the limitations of our flesh, our experience in this life. Just because I feel that way doesn't mean that he doesn't hear me, but I pray for his presence when I can actually commune with my Lord and he communes with me, where I'm in the, I have confidence in him to provide what I need. The Lord's presence gives me what peace, rest, and assurance I have in Christ in doing everything in my salvation. I need his presence in my study. This is how the gospel's revealed. I can read this book, and, and you have. You've read this book, and before you know, the Lord's revealed something to you, you look at it, and it's just words. You think you can, we can look at it and try to decipher what it means, but we don't look to the scriptures and try to find Christ in them. Christ reveals what's in the scriptures. And, but when Christ comes and gives his presence and gives me a quickening spirit, he reveals it to me in his word. So you see... This is the Lord's presence and how we pray for that. And we can't be without his presence. So that's the only way that he's revealed. And there may be days and moments where we feel especially touched by his presence, where we're so full of joy, so certain in what we believe, such contentment in Christ. You think 
Lord, just take me now. I, I believe as much as I ever have. I, you know, can't contain it. And and it brings peace to you. What what you know? What rest you have in your soul? But there are also times when the Lord withdraws His presence. And this is why we pray for the Lord's presence. We ask to seek the Lord and His presence because I can only reflect the most panicked that I've ever felt is I've prayed for the Lord. Lord, I. Let me know who you are. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Give me a closer knowledge and love for Christ. And I found what he did is I, I, did, I didn't hear anything anymore when I'd sit in worship service. And I didn't feel like he heard me when I prayed. And I wasn't feeding when I'd come to worship. And it made me more panicked than I've ever been in my life. I'm thinking, Lord, I, I'm, I'm coming here to hear your word. I, I'm, I want to hear it. I'm desirous. I'm hungry. And I'm not hearing anything. And the Lord withdrew his presence. And yet what he was teaching me was my reliance upon Christ. Not only for the ability to see it, for the ability to believe, the ability to hear, the ability to have any life at all. And without his presence, when that goes away... My life goes away. I feel, I feel I have nothing. I'm just cold. I'm dead. He shows me what I am. I can't hear. But when he is there, and when the Lord does touch me, and when his presence is there, I can believe. And in the Lord, over time, he, you know, he gave me a dark time when I couldn't hear, but he did that to teach me that. And without that, there's no way I could have ever understood that. And in doing that, I have a closer knowledge, love, appreciation, for what, who Christ is and what he's done for me. So I must have his presence in my life. So we seek unto the Lord for his presence, our need of Christ. The fourth thing that we seek unto the Lord for is for his will. His will to be done. Christ did in the garden. He was God himself in the flesh, but yet he sought the Lord's will to be done. He said, not my will, because in my flesh, Lord, if, if it be possible, let this cut pass from me. But he knew it wasn't possible. He said, not what I want, but thy will be done, because I'm here to do the Father's will. Why? Because it's what's best. The scripture says unto man, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, Whatever I might think is great, whatever the way I might think things go, the Lord says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. And there's a reason I do what I do, and it's not for you to decide because I'm weak and sinful flesh. And so if I'm one of his people, Romans 8.28 says, we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that, who are called according to his purpose, which is his will. So his will determines what his purpose is. The Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray for his will also, so I pray for his will to be done, and I pray for his will to be made manifest to me. How many things are in the Lord's will that we have no understanding, no light, or even insight on? We have nothing. But yet, there are many things that we go through in our life and think, why did the Lord do that? I don't know. We search for understanding. I pray for the Lord's will to be manifest so that I know. I, it, who hath known the mind of the Lord? There is much that we do not know. 
there are many things that we can't understand. We might have problems in our homes, a problem with your family, you have a bad relationship with relatives, relationships hurt. We have a problem with sickness in our lives. We pray for somebody who's sick in mind, who's sick in body to get well, and then they don't. Why did the Lord do that? You lose a job or your business starts going down the tubes. Why are things are the way they are? Why are these things so? These are all questions that we have, but yet we're not owed an answer. Yet God is still on the throne. Whether I'm given an answer or not, executing all of his pre-appointed purposes and wills that were purposed in himself. I am to seek his will to be done that he might be pleased to make it manifest. I don't want to act hastily. I don't want to act and go against the Lord's will to, to walk in a way that's against him. So I want him to make it manifest so that I can know, Lord, give me direction, give me guidance. I don't want to walk and be foolish and go against you. And the second thing I'm to do, one, I'm to ask for direction. The second thing with his will, I'm going to wait for him to bring it. I'm going to wait for him to show me what it is. And that's the hardest thing to do. I found that often his timeline does not coincide with my timeline. If you've been around me very much, and this is one of the times you first met me and I'm exposing myself, I'm pretty impatient. And I, I, it's a, I can't help it, but I, I try not to be. I, can't, you know, I want to be more patient, but I'm not. And I'm impatient. And when things don't happen on my timeline, I, I, I freak out. I don't know what to do, you know. But yet, Lord has to teach me that. He has to teach me to wait upon him, to depend upon him. It is time to seek the Lord. It says back in our um, text in Hosea 10, 12, it's time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. So he's saying he's going to rain righteousness upon you of these people that he's speaking to here. But until he come, it's not going to be right away. So his will is, it's going to take whatever his pre-appointed time is. It could be immediately, it might take time. But nonetheless, we're still to wait upon him. Um, the scripture says in Proverbs 20, verse 22, Say not, thou, I shall repay evil. I'm going to get payment back for what, for what they did to me. They're going to get what they did to me. But wait on the Lord. He shall save thee. See, the Lord's going to repay all that's ever done in his own time. And it's not for me to decide when to do that. That's for him to do, not, to, not for me. So we're to seek the Lord for his will. And the last thing that we're to seek the Lord for is to abolish all of our false refuges. And what do we mean by a false refuge? Refuge is the place you go when you're in trouble. A refuge is the place you go to seek shelter in a time of storm. This is where I'm going to take refuge, to get to safe place. And we are full of them, false refuges. And it's different for every person. And so I ask the Lord to deliver me from looking to my feelings, deliver me from looking to my experience. And this is something I am so guilty of. I look to my experience and how I feel one day. One day I might feel more saved than another day. And every day I pray, Lord, save me. Because every day in my experience, I'm going to look to the, my walk in this life and I'm going to say, if, the, if somebody like this couldn't possibly save, to think the things I think, to do the things I do, but yet 
this is a false refuge. I'm looking to my experience. My salvation is not in my experience. My salvation's in Christ. So we're full of doubt. We're full of unbelief. We feel more or less elect of God based on how we're doing that day and, and, and how we view our faith. You see, how strong or how weak my faith is that day does not change my election in God. It's not based on my feelings. Thinking or feeling, if I were a believer, I wouldn't do or I wouldn't say that. I'm still in sinful flesh, and I'm still going to do those things. And they're wrong, and there's no excuse for them. But I can't look at my experience and think, well, I've been saved up until this point, and I believed, and so therefore the Lord's forgiven me up to this point. And then I sin again. And I think, well, the Lord can't forgive me now. I've known his word, and I've sinned against him. It's all I do. And as long as this flesh is here, it's all I'm going to do. And so I ask the Lord to abolish this sinful refuge. Um, there's no excuse for it. But in our flesh, this is what we have. And the Lord will put it down one day. But, but get, get rid of this. This, ref, this is a common refuge. I think probably everyone in here has is a false refuge. Abolish a false refuge of taking comfort in my church. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for having a place to go worship. I'm thankful for a building where I can come. We don't have to sit outside. We don't have to go go all you know travel you know six eight hours just to worship every once in a while. I'm thankful for a place to go to hear the gospel preached. But if God removed His candlestick, Lord, deliver me from being in that place. What if God sent a false prophet if I was tied to the building where I was at? And I'm not talking about the assembly of God, the people of God, but the building and say, this is where I've got to be. This is, Lord, deliver me from a false refuge. Don't let me take comfort in, and this is where I've lived all my life. This is, I need to go where the gospels preach. I need to have somebody to preach the gospel to me. And so I don't want to be lost in my own issues that are in my flesh. This is back to my experience and the things that I hold dear. I don't want to let go of these things. Our salvation is in Christ, not in creed, not in denomination, not in a building, and not in a relationship. And you may, somebody might say, well, you know, my daddy goes to church here, or my mama goes to church there, and, you know, they come to hear the gospel, and they know that's the wrong message, that their, their father, mother, sister, wife goes and sits under Abolish that refuge of saying these fa family is still a family, but the gospel is the only thing I have in common. You see, the rest of this stuff we have, this will all be gone one day. And then all that's left, all that will endure is, am I found in Christ? Do I believe the gospel? And I, am I in him? So I'm to seek the Lord to burn all my bridges, all the bridges to these false refuges. I want them destroyed because salvation is of, by, through and in Christ. And in seeking the Lord, I'm to ask, believing I'll receive what I ask for. We're given that confidence because he says, if you ask, you'll receive. In Deuteronomy 4, the scripture says, but if from thence, if from that point, thou shalt seek the Lord, thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou shalt seek him with all thy heart, and with all thy soul. This is not something we're just asking for, Lord, save me. And then we go about our business. No, we're crying, Lord, save me. Lord, reveal your gospel to me. Or else I'm lost. I'm going to die. If you don't do something for me, I'm gone. And so we speak and pray to the Lord from our new heart. 
with the soul that he's put in us, this new man, this new spirit that can commune with the Lord. Lord, save me. Reveal your gospel unto me. So it's time to seek the Lord for forgiveness of sins, for the quickening power of the Holy Spirit, life, for his presence, for his will to be done, and to abolish all our false refuges. So we're to seek the Lord for these things, but I'm going to close with this verse of Scripture, and in the words of David, in Psalm 119, he says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Lord, seek thy servant. We're to seek the Lord unto these things, but Lord, seek me. Lord, if you put this on me to have to do it in order for these things to have these things, I won't do it. Lord, seek me. Cause me to walk in your ways. Give me your spirit. Give me your presence. Forgive me for my sins.